Welcome to yet another episode of the Lowdown Society Podcast. I hope everyone's making good use of the quarantine time and getting a lot of woodshedding done and a lot of enlightenment done. Um, I actually interviewed the guest this week uh, right at the beginning of the quarantine here in L.A. a few weeks ago. And um, in case anyone's wondering, we sat at least six foot apart the entire time. So, you know, no infectioning of each other was done, we hope. Um, this guy is just somebody who floors me every time he puts something up on Instagram. And uh, it's so easy to be impressed by people on their daily playing incredibly technically uh, advanced stuff. But it's so hard to to just put something on and within two seconds it just makes you want to stand up and dance or within two seconds it just makes you kind of feel better about your day and uh beat up brian white today's guest he's one of those magical players who possesses that that skill and that vibe so uh i hope this podcast today will introduce a lot of people to him that might not be following him or be aware of him and uh it's also great to have a uh, Los Angeles bass player born and raised here in the city as well. Uh, a lot of us are here, obviously, are transplants because of the industry. So I hope you guys really enjoy this. I sure did. It was such a good time hanging out with uh, B-Dub. Uh, so without further ado, let's go down to uh, B-Dub's apartment down in Long Beach, California. All right, everybody. Welcome to the first quarantine episode of the Lowdown Society podcast. Today's guest is Brian White. Does anyone call you Brian ever? Beat no. up. <laughs> There's like three people in the whole world that actually call me Brian. My own family doesn't even call me Brian. They don't call me beat up, but they don't call me Brian either. All right. What's your family call you? <laughs> oh, they call me a couple of different names. <laughs> <laughs> Not flattering. Not so flattering. <laughs> yeah, man. So we're in uh, Long Beach, California today. Long Beach. It was Beach. the East. The easiest drive through the entire city of Los Angeles I've ever done. Oh, yeah. Today. It was a beautiful thing. Um, Smooth. No traffic, huh? <laughs> not none. So, are you you originally from Long Beach? No, I'm actually originally from Compton. Um, I was born in Linwood and then raised in Compton. And then, I'd say, as I got older, I spent some time in L.A., South Central LA, but the bulk of my, you know, growing up was in Compton. So, so did you, uh, before you were starting to hang out in your teens, when you were real little, like six, seven, was there a, did your parents, were they playing records a lot? And how, how did music get in your veins originally? Um, for me, it was, it was kind of between my mom and my grandmother. So, my grandmother was big on the gospel stuff, so I, I would hear a lot of the classic gospel stuff through my grandmother. And then my mom, it was a lot of the, the old Motown, you know, the soul music type stuff. She was a big, uh, you know, OJs and the Whispers, you know, stuff like that. So that's where I got most of my music introduction from between my mom and my grandmother, so... So when did you start playing an instrument? Was bass the first thing? No, I actually started off as a drummer. Um, I was uh, in church, and 
you know, kind of after church, usually the kids are like playing on the instruments and stuff. And this was literally my first experience ever, you know, touching an instrument or anything. I was just playing with the kids or whatever. And so I was playing on the drums and something happened where, you know, I just was like, wow, this is fun. Like, I really enjoy this. Like, and I could actually play something at an actual beat and at an actual, you know, locking in somewhat of a groove at that time, which was, I thought was crazy because all the other kids would just kind of get on the drums and just start banging on stuff. And my initial first response was to play a groove or, you know, play time. So that was, that was my first experience with, you know, music in general. And that was, I'd say, fifth grade. Yeah. I think so, I was about 11, 12 years old. How long did the uh, drumming as the first instrument last? Before that bass lasted, happened? ooh. I think by the time I was in seventh grade. Because I think the drum, when I when I had the experience with the drums, it wasn't just an experience for drums it was an experience for music so by the time I got to like seventh grade I was just I had this you know I wanted to play everything I wanted to you know see about all the different instruments so by seventh grade I was dabbling you know keyboard here and there just kind of fooling around but that's when I first picked up bass and I didn't think it was a big deal at the time because all I did was volunteer to learn because the other bass player was graduating from middle school. Mm. And so the band didn't have a bass player. I said, Hey, I'll learn. And so, yeah, about seventh grade. is when I first picked up a bass and I picked it up upside down because I'm left-handed. So I had to, he's like, well, you got to learn the other way. Cause the school doesn't have a left-hand bass. So I had, I was kind of forced to flip over and learn, you know, the correct way or the, most popular most yeah. popular way but yeah that was that's a trip yeah i didn't know that so what was that like initially what, did it just feel completely wrong to you it was weird it was weird it was weird because I, I kept wanting to flip it back over but then when i wanted to flip it back over the strings felt weird, so that kind of forced me to go back the other way. And so, you know, the heaviest string being on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it definitely felt weird, but because I had so much of a love for music, I was with it. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so since I come from, I didn't grow up playing bass in a church. I've spent a few years in the contemporary Christian slash gospel, mm-hmm. you know, world as a as a touring pro, but growing up playing in church was not a thing in the country Mm. where I'm from, you know? So my question is, is secular music was gospel, all of your playing for a while? Or do you remember like what the first secular stuff was? Like, like you mentioned OJ's and was any of that? That's a really good question. Yeah, it definitely started out as gospel. Um, The good thing for me is playing in school. And, you know, being in the jazz band and stuff like that exposed me to different types of music because they weren't playing gospel. So uh-huh. the gospel stuff happened in the church. But, you know, when I was in school, we were playing 
you know, jazz tunes and stuff like that. So that's when I got my exposure to, you know, the different stuff. But my desire for wanting to play the different stuff, uh, I guess that happened when, like, after probably after my school days because I started to gravitate more towards music production. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of triggered my desire for more secular music because I'm like, okay, who produced this record? Who, you know, played on this record? Stuff like that. So that's when I kind of had the the switch over. Who were some of your early influences? Except I I assume you were influenced a lot by older players around where you lived. Was there, who was your first sort of, influences as off, far as bass players yeah off records um initially when i started playing bass the only guy i knew of at the time was andrew goucher because he was playing on pretty much all the gospel records at the time and then i was big into this choir called mississippi man's choir uh-huh. and i still don't know who played bass on a lot of those records but I gravitated a lot towards their bass player because, you know, I I love the records, Mm -hmm. you know. So those were my initial influences when it came to bass. And then, you know, as I got older, then I was like, okay, exposed to more local guys like, you know, Corny Mims from Compton, um, Jimmy Newell, he's from out here, Um, you know, stuff like that. And then from there... I was, you know, friends started to tell me about, hey, you know, there's other bass players out there like the Marcus Millers and, you know, stuff yeah. like that. I'm like, OK, wow. I had no idea, you know, because I, I wasn't listening to that, you know, type of music at that time. So, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's interesting that I have, I have I'll insert a funny story about, you know, you not being hip to sort of secular players like Marcus and until later. Mm-hmm. uh so I remember maybe a little over 20 years ago, I had done a few of the big country tours or whatever, and, uh, and I, was, I was off for six months from the road, and I took a lot of sort of local cover gigs. I had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with that. Still do a lot of those. And uh, I remember going to southern Arkansas in a van from, from Nashville, where I lived at the time, and, and to play a, a church in uh, some big youth camp, youth gathering or something in mm-hmm. a church in southern arkansas we pull up it's a really nice church you got a bunch of basketball courts and everything in the back and we pull up and there's some local teenagers there and they're also local musicians and they were super excited that guys from out of town was coming in and at the time i'm almost 30 years old and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and these kids are like man it's so great you're here and we really appreciate it and they're full of energy about three minutes into this hype 15 year old He's like, man, don't ever go secular. He's like, and I look him dead in the eye. I go, this is my first Christian gig ever. <laughs> I just, I just, wa- I just wanted the awkwardness. I just wanted right. to see. <laughs> Said, uh, I've kind of already been there. Yeah. <laughs> so like the, the other, the other way around yeah. type of thing. But so speaking of uh andre goucher he's isn't he ogla isn't he from here yeah born and raised he's he's originally from here i think he moved up to to seattle recently but um yeah he he's originally from la yeah one of his most recent uh mtd builds is like a la lakers tribute base yeah have you seen it yeah it's, it's got a, a crazy bunch of base 
famous uh, basketball dudes mm-hmm. as fret markers. They're numbers. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And then it's crazy, you know, he had that done right before, you know, the passing of Kobe and stuff yeah. like that. So it was crazy how that happened. But, yeah, it's a cool bass. Pretty and sweet I, bass. And I figured, because, you know, just being in the bass world, I figured I was pretty hip to, you know, anything uh, regarding uh, Goucher. But I saw an interview the other day. I think it was Scott's Bass Lessons online, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying that he plays everything a whole step down. All his basses are a whole step down. Mm-hmm. Because he said, when I started, there was no five strings or barely any. And none of us wanted that, that you know, the D or the D flat coming off the A string, fifth and fourth fret. So we all, you know, we just tuned tuned down the entire bass instead of detuning just the E string like rock dudes. Right. And so he goes, to this day, even though there's five string basses, it's just all a whole step down. And he says, you know, my hero, a lot of people's hero, Joel Smith. Yeah. You know, he apparently did that too mm. on all his instruments. Wow. So, Trying to learn something by watching those guys' hands are going to confuse a lot of people. So I thought, oh, yeah. if there's any dudes out there trying to learn some Joel or Andrew stuff, it's a whole step down. <laughs> Listen to it. Don't watch their hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen to it. Don't yeah. read the tab. Yeah. But my first, I tried the uh, tuning down thing once, and it was a horrible experience <laughs> because I tuned down, and it was right before, you know, doing a church service. And the thing about church services, some people may not know, is that a lot of it's on the fly. So you got to be quick. You got to be be able to adapt quick. So there was a situation where the keyboard player started calling out notes. And I got lost because my bass was tuned. I think I tuned the whole step down. I tuned the A. And I couldn't adjust fast enough. So I was like, man, I can't do this. And so I was like, just wait. <laughs> and I, I took a second and I tuned back standard and I was good. But I've never tried to tune down ever again. So, uh... I figure I'll get around to why, how I know about you, and it's from Instagram. Hmm. And the reason I thought of bringing this up is because you were talking about how when you were a kid and you mm-hmm. sat behind a drum kit, your initial like vibe was to groove and all other kids wanted to beat on as many things as possible. Right. So there's something there that you didn't learn how to be an accompanying a groove dude you were just born one you attract you were attracted to that yeah instead of what everyone else was attracted to mm-hmm. and uh uh when i saw you on instagram and there's so many dudes out there ripping my heads off with especially in the gospel world with just right, great right. riffs and stuff but your videos man i just i was just like this this groove this guy th- throws some sauce on it mm-hmm but it's there's something that the other dudes don't have. 
So that's how I, you know, came down. I, I hit you up and, uh-huh. and I saw you were really pushing your online lessons. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I live in LA and I'm ADD. I, I, I want to watch, I want to hang out in person. And you're yeah. like, come on down. So I came down for a lesson. What, six months ago now, maybe? Yeah, it was about six and, months ago. Uh, and uh, so you come from a different place, I think, than a lot of, a lot of the contemporaries uh, yeah. with that. And have you have you given any thought about that yourself? I mean, it's hard to analyze your own playing, I guess. Right, but right. have you thought about that watching all the other dudes on Instagram that are sort of putting up videos like you are and what mm-hmm. makes you different? Um I hadn't really thought about it until now that you just, you know, mentioned it. Um I never like when I first started playing, I never really I guess prior to wasn't exposed to, you know, groove and stuff like that. So I can't really say that being exposed to it or my environment created me into a grooving musician. But like you said, it was something that naturally came and I was born with it, which is weird (laughs) to be born with the whole groove thing. But sometimes I'll be scrolling and I'll check out like other players and stuff like that. And I I start to wonder, it's like, okay, Cause I'm I'm not a flashy type of player. I'm I'm more of the guys like okay, lay a solid foundation. So the rest of I'm more of a team player type of bass player. And so when it comes to promoting yourself and putting yourself on the internet and stuff like that, I tend to second guess it because I'm looking at you know like my buddies like Derek Bennett and you know Mono Neon and stuff like that, and they're a little more you know. With the slapping and all that kind of stuff, and it's cool, I love it. But then I'm looking at myself like, uh, I don't really do that. That's not my thing. So I'm like, uh, maybe I shouldn't post this video or, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, it's the internet is an interesting place to promote yourself. Well, I think I think we all all musicians, and I I think I think this goes up to the top legends that are posting videos every day, especially mm-hmm. now in quarantine, like Brian May from Queen right. is posting videos every day. Mm-hmm. Lee Sklar is posting videos for the first time in his life. <laughs> and they're yeah. amazing because it's just him playing along to Phil Collins songs. Right, right. And he's just playing bass. Have you watched it? I haven't. I haven't seen it. Well, you got to check it out. Yeah, send me some links. It, it's just him playing songs. Mm-hmm. So it, it's technically very rudimentary you know mm. very simple but it's lee sklar playing songs and i think it's just such a breath of fresh air to, to hear somebody play songs yeah <laughs> you know so i i don't know i i think a lot of us that like to prove when we post something of a groove or a simple melody uh, i uploaded a simple melodic thing the other day and uh it's just well should this have more things in it and i'm like no it's not what I do. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the more, the older I get and the more I'm, you know, kind of coming into my own and, you know, being more confident in what I do, I just realize some things are an acquired taste. It doesn't mean that this person is better than this person or anything like that. It's just, you know, some people prefer this over this. It doesn't mean one or the other is bad. And I had to learn that for myself, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you don't suck because you can't do this or, you know. He's not the best because he does this. It's just, you know, you guys approach it differently. Yeah. And, and you know, it's an approach, but it's also what type of thing you were born with, I think, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So instead of doing all the promoting at the end of the podcast, because I mentioned your online lessons, mm -hmm. um, and I just I came here for a lesson, and it, it wasn't so much a lesson as it was a hang with me checking out what you do. And, and right. to me, it's an amazing thing, and I encourage everyone else to come take a lesson from you. So yeah. tell people how they can do it. Uh, you can send me an email. Uh, my email is info at thebasecoach.com. That's info at thebasecoach.com. Or you can send me a DM on Instagram or, you know, Facebook. It's Brian B. Dub White. And, you know, just hit me up and we'll make it happen. My thing is with the lessons is I don't want it to feel like a lesson. I want it to, you know, make the kind of the environment comfortable to where, you know, you can just kind of be yourself and just play what you feel. And, you know, we just groove. And, you know, the best way, I believe, to build up, you know, your playing and your, your feel and stuff like that is to just do it, you know, just play. That's shedding the records and playing the clicks and loops and stuff like that. That's the best way to do it. So, yeah, if you're interested, hit me up. So since we are uh, since we are sort of in, we're sitting at your uh, at your studio desk here in your apartment, <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, this is where people will get their lessons from. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your setup as far as how you get your tone. And mm -hmm. this is, of course, a question with your tones in the fingers. We know right. that. But, <laughs> but um, uh, I see the little GK Plex preamp there. Mm -hmm. And you were playing a Fender 5 when I was here, right? Yeah, it was a five-string Fender uh, American Standard. But I had a, a Audair preamp installed in it. So I kind of get my uh, three-band EQ and, you know, got a little boost going on. But I actually has recently kind of been thinking about taking it out and just going back to the standard tone. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> so that what did you notice about that preamp uh, originally? What made you decide to go with that? Um, that was my first experience with it. Uh, I just tried it out because, you know, friends were suggesting it. And I was like, hey, you know, this will be my, uh, you know, test base. So I just put it in there and tried it out and it sounds really good um it adds some more punch and some more bite to it and you know playing gospel music that's kind of important you know you got to have the basses with the bite and the power and stuff like that but a thing for me is when I'm doing session work and stuff like that it's not really necessary you know it's better to have the basses that are more focused on tone opposed to power you know that's super interesting. Tone versus power. Tone versus power. And uh, I'm like you too. My tone preference for a live gig versus my studio tone is quite different. Yeah. Uh, so you said when you you boost a little on the onboard pre, do you boost a little mids? I assume or no. Um, just a little bit. Just a little bit of mids. I'll move them slightly towards maybe like one o'clock something like that. Mm. But for the most part, everything else I pretty much have locked in at zero or 12 o'clock rather. Yeah. I don't really, you know, even on my, uh, like the head or my preamp or whatever, I don't change anything really. I just kind of, I, I have the tendency to adapt my finger position to get the tone that I want opposed to getting it from the rig because, you know, coming up, being a young bass player, we didn't have the best gear. So, mm -hmm. you know, you just kind of 
make do with what you have and try to get the best tone out of some crappy gear. So, you know. So what's your, uh, are you a GK guy for your head when you play live too? Or? Yeah, GK guy. Which uh, which head are you playing? Um, When out and about doing gigs and stuff like that, I usually go for the, um, the Fusion 800. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the warmth that I get with the tubes. Um, when it's like the big stuff, the big gigs, then I'll go for my 1001. Mm-hmm. That that gives me just the right balance of power and tone, you know, with an RBH uh, 410 and 115 on the bottom. So. Oh, yeah, you bring two cabs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> uh, I think that was the go-to unless you were playing 810 hard rock gigs. When I grew up, it seemed like all my heroes, whether they were playing, you know, funk R&B or fusion or rock or pop, 115, 410 was a thing. Yeah. And uh, it's weird because I feel like 12s have had a, a, a big resurgence among bass players. A lot they of, have. A lot of bass players are doing like a 412 and then an 810 sort of shaped fridge cab. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as much as I play a lot of rock, the 12s don't do it for me like a 15 and 10s. There's just something oh, about yeah. there's something about the way the mid-range never gets too honky, you know, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Uh, with that with that setup. Yeah. So, uh when you when you record here in the studio, is that that little GK Plex preamp straight in, right? Yeah, I go direct to the preamp and then I go from the preamp to my recording interface and I'm usually recording all my audio and pro tools. I've been a big pro tools guy for 10 plus years, so. And is there any additional plugs or anything you add or or um, there's the some things I do on the back end for my own personal production stuff, but mm-hmm. as far as when I, you know, send out records for clients and stuff like that, I just send it how I cut it, mm-hmm. you know, and let them do, you know, whatever they want to do. I hear, I hear most, most bass players that I respect that are buddies that do at home sessions and send tracks. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, uh, a lot of them say, uh, a lot of them add even less stuff than you do and just say, hey, I just send the track and I have a great compressor, but I don't know what taste they have in compression right? Know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm somewhere in the middle on that, I think. Uh, I do the, I play, on, when I play on rock stuff, especially, I, I just feel bad just sending a straight DI, especially right. if I play with a pick. So I'll, I'll send a DI that like imitates a, a amp a little bit and then I'll send the straight yeah they can mix them you know yeah and then you make a good point too because you know when you're doing records and stuff like that your reputation is sort of attached to it so the worst thing would be to send some raw file and they don't do much to it and they think it sounds amazing and you're like you guys didn't do anything to the bass (laughs) yeah 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 so as far as uh your background uh live gigs and such who are some of the artists you've played with or if people are want to check you out on youtube and not like at home bass ripping videos but they want to see you uh like here in la are, are there some some artists you've, you've done outside of church that are you know that maybe keep people confined yeah there might be some stuff on the internet um i did a a couple of runs a few years back and 
I'm not the touring guy, so like I, I kind of did my spot dates and just yeah. was ready to come home. So I mean, there's probably some stuff on YouTube from shows I've done with Tyrese, or you know, maybe some clips of I've played behind Stevie Wonder a couple of times. Uh, nothing like a tour or anything, but just a couple of you know songs, random songs. Um, Johnny Gill. Uh, Angie Stone, a uh, few gospel artists, uh, Diedrich Haddon. Uh, there might be some stuff up with Mary Mary and, oh, cool. you know, uh, Tone B. Slade, he goes by now. Um, yeah, there's some stuff out there, some stuff I probably haven't even come across yet. <laughs> well, if you uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you find any of those links that you like, Okay. I'll post some of them on the Facebook page for the podcast. Oh, sweet. You know, cool. so people can check that out. And of course, I want to check it out too. So awesome. Angie Stone, one of my best friends from Memphis, played for her for quite a few years back in the early 2000s. Jackie Clark. Jackie, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a great guy right there. Oh, yeah. Well, he's one of the best. He's, yeah. he's, he makes the bass world a better place. Yeah. Um, he got me the number of a lot of the Memphis cats that have been on this podcast that now live in L.A. and play for, you know, Demi Lovato and Jonas Brothers. Nice. And, you know, Me- Memphis, Memphis in the house in L.A. Yeah, for, for yeah. sure. Uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, please, please, uh, I'll make sure to put some of that stuff up. But when, when did you play with Angie? What kind of scenario was that? That was... Might have been... 2012 2013 we did a show at bb king's in uh in new york bb mm-hmm. king's in new york we did probably about four or five tunes good energy fun vibes you know so yeah i think that clip might be up somewhere but i'll, I'll look for it <laughs> yeah well it, it you know it, it's it's pretty awesome that you have some of these pretty heavy credits and you haven't looked to see if they're around on the right on the internet. <laughs> but then again, this brings us back to the sort of the reason I'm here that you you don't need those heavy credit videos really if you're not looking for a bunch of touring work. You you're much better off having the Instagram thing. Yeah. So I haven't been uh I mean, I was on your account last night because I watched a little bit of your live feed, but mm-hmm. I haven't looked at your you have quite a bit of followers on there, right? <laughs> I think I'm at about 25k. Well, that's that's good, man. Yeah, I'm doing all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> so, what are the what what are some of your plans for the nearest future uh, as far as your bass playing and and all of it? Uh, I think I'm just at the point now where I just want to focus more on pouring into other people, you mm-hmm. know, and and building better bass players, and you know kind of shift the focus because there's a lot of people that want to gig and do the tours and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's cool, but they don't necessarily know how to navigate the skill set that they look for in those scenarios. Mm -hmm. So my, my focus would be to, you know, kind of invest that time into those players that want to do those kind of gigs and so when they get those opportunities they know what to do and how to you know represent themselves in a way 
to where they'll get the calls back and, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Not just getting on the gig and going crazy. It's not, you know, not a bass show, but, you know, you're playing behind artists, so you want to keep that in mind. So talking about sort of the education and the mentoring thing, mm-hmm. do you, what kind of stuff do you find yourself telling younger players uh, that aren't related to bass? What are some of the advice you give young cats mm. that are not bass related? Because I'm pretty sure you tell them like how to behave and like you said, to get the call back. So that yeah. made me wonder when you said that. What, what else do you tell them? The number one thing I, I definitely tell younger players is to keep your name clean. You don't want to tarnish your reputation. You don't want to get involved in situations that can, you know, backfire on, you know, your career or, you know, who you are as a person, you know, because I think that's the number one thing. You don't want to misrepresent who you are, you know. That's the number one thing I always tell the younger guys, like, don't (laughs) keep your name clean. Don't don't get involved in any kind of kind of junk you know do your gig and go home like the extra stuff no bad things happen after the gigs <laughs> yeah yeah no, so they definitely do good things and bad things happen after gigs yeah. you know but <laughs> yeah it, it's hard to get off that high from playing gigs and i think yeah. a lot of musicians have issues with that uh you know so yeah that's that's good advice to, to find a way to to you know to take care of yourself after you're done playing and and, yeah. and, and you're in fun mode because you're feeling great because you just did your favorite thing on the planet and you want to yeah. keep that going but you got to be careful yeah yeah definitely because right. you know that's not reality you no, know it's not. it's it's not reality like life happens after the gig is over and stuff like that and you know you you're on this stage in front of thousands of people and then you go back to an empty hotel room where it's just, you know, you and your thoughts. So, yeah. you know, it's important to know who you are and, you know, to have your you build your mental strength and things like that, because, you know, it gets rough out here. You know, some people aren't built for it. You know, I know you've probably had come across people or heard about things where, you know, musicians or singers, you know, had some rough times, you know separating the the highs and the lows and you know not knowing how to deal with those things you know it can be a really bad thing so it's important to definitely know who you are as a person and don't you know let these gigs and things define you because they come and go yeah they don't last forever yeah and i definitely needed to hear that when i got into the game full time yeah you know that's advice that i needed to hear back then Mm -hmm. uh and I think it's cool because the whole mental health thing has come up a few times in the last oh, few, yeah. uh, last few podcasts, because us uh, us musicians, the gift that we can tap in this crazy out there world to bring music, that gift also comes with a backside. And I think yeah. all of us know that. But uh, I had Kyle Whalem on, uh, national guy who recently moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. who plays bass on the Kelly Clarkson show. He's the only bass player on daytime TV. Nice. And he's also the bass player for uh, Katy Perry mm-hmm. uh, uh, at the same time. Cool. So, yeah, and he's uh, he's still a pretty young brother from Nashville. 
And mm-hmm. uh, he mentioned the mental health thing a lot in his podcast, which was only yeah. about two months ago. I think I put that up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great to hear really successful, healthy guys talking about it because it's easy to think when you just see a guy who's like has, a, you know, a healthy life and on Instagram, has got wife and kids and has the biggest gigs on the planet and say, hey, it, it, this stuff messes with me, too. And I think that's a valuable thing to like, none of us, can, oh, yeah. none of us can just escape it and play and be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and that leads me to the next question. You said, you know, keep your name clean and, and all that stuff. You mentioned you grew up in Compton and you now live in Long Beach. And when you're not from LA and when you don't know that, oh, there's some banging stuff going on in those neighborhoods. If you come mm-hmm. from anywhere else in the world, whatever you hear about those parts of town, is yeah. that they're pretty dangerous. There's gangs and drugs and, and, and all that stuff. And Absolutely. Grow, growing up in that environment, did music, did music keep you away from all that? Do you think you were ever in the risk of... Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd say it did. It kept me busy. Um, and it was something that I enjoyed doing. So I didn't really have a desire to be out in the streets you know, and stuff like that and you know, getting into you know, things I shouldn't be. But... There was a, actually a time when I was younger that I was somewhere I shouldn't have been, and it actually put me in a position where I was shot. And I don't really talk about it much, only like, you know, people who are really close to me, you know, know about that. But, yeah, I was, you know, a younger, younger kid, and my mom specifically told me, like, don't go where I was going. <laughs> and, of course, me sneaking out and going anyway. Not even 10 minutes after walking out the door, I was shot. So, you know, definitely a scary moment at the time. But, you know, it was just a reminder, like, this isn't, this kind of stuff isn't for me. Let me focus on what I, what I really want to do. That's, that's yeah. interesting, man. Uh, because that, it makes me think that music can keep us away from, in your case, too much excitement. Because you, you grew up in an area where there's a lot of action and a lot of exciting things oh, going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a small town where there wasn't shit going on. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a pretty extroverted guy, and I was like, it's so boring here, yeah. you know? And music kept me from boredom, and it kept you from too much action problem. Yeah, Like, kind of the opposite. You know, it just, mm-hmm. you know, that's interesting. Yeah, because, like, the action stuff, it seems to seems like people get a high from that, get a kick out of, you know, the action and stuff like that. And for me, like you said, I'm the opposite. I'm like, okay, too much action, you know, leaves room for <laughs> for trouble. So, you know, let me have a little bit of fun, but I'm, I'm gonna get on out of here. <laughs> that's yeah. that's amazing. All right, now that now that we were in mental health and like life lesson land, mm-hmm. uh, let's get back to gear land. There are. I'm I'm lucky enough to sit and resting my arm on your little bass stand here. I see like a uh, Ken Smith six string, mm-hmm. and I remember. I mean, there's what year is that from? Do you know? Or I don't even ish? know, but I got it back in maybe 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. And it's crazy because. I think I paid like twenty five hundred for it at that time. Mm-hmm. I've never seen one for that lower price ever since. <laughs> the dude that was playing bass for Michael Jackson twenty years ago, a history tour, and mm-hmm. 
tall, skinny brother. I forget his name. Uh, I feel bad about forgetting his name, but he had the ultimate super Ken Smith tone. Like mm-hmm. you could have been bar- you could have buried him in the mix, and it was still like, oh yeah, that's just Smith. <laughs> that's Smith, yeah. And I remember his slap tone. Uh, his slap tone. I gotta find some links and send you because it's yeah. just it's glorious, and it's that super other thing than the Marcus or a Jazz. It's completely the opposite slap yeah, tone. Yeah, very sounds, distinct. Yeah, yeah. Do you find yourself playing that bass a lot? I haven't seen it in any videos. Uh, it's been a while since I've picked up that bass for multiple reasons. Uh, one, because it's a heavy bass, and you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, I'm checking it out. I'm going it's for heavy. comfort. <laughs> yep. You know, when it comes to gigging, I'm going more for comfort. You know, this bass isn't heavy, but it still gets the job done. So let's, you know, take this one. And then, you know, it's an expensive bass. It's a boutique bass. So, you know, I don't really like to travel or do anything like that with the boutique basses. Yeah. You know. And here is, I'm I'm uninvited going through your <laughs> I've bass. had it. <laughs> uh I see performance, Hollywood, California. Is this some type of a custom job? It looks like a five-string, all-natural, sort of Marcus-y yeah. thing. Black block. Yeah, performance guitars are in uh, in Hollywood. Um, it's a guy by the name of Yasu that does great work building those things. So, yeah, shout-out to performance guitars. They, they do amazing work. Uh, a lot of my buddies have them as well. So, yeah. I've never heard of them. So I got to check this out now. I'll be yeah. I'll be Google stalking them as soon as I get home from this. <laughs> For sure. So and there's also a rosewood uh, cream white with a tort kind of 1962 looking jazz bass four string. But it's got all the active electronics in it, I see. Mm-hmm. And flats. Got flats on it. Yep. I got that back in. I don't know when. I was talking to a buddy of mine. He was like, man, they got this Fender at Guitar Center. That's crazy. It's killing. And so we went up there, and I played it, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty killing. And I and I grabbed it, <laughs> and I've had it ever since. <laughs> so, Do you find yourself using your uh, your Fender Jazz 5 with a, with a uh, preamp in it, or do you find yourself using this one a lot for it? Um, for gigging, it's always pretty much the the five strings. Uh, as far as recording, depending on what type of record I'm doing, it'll vary between the five string active or the four string, depending on if I'm going for the, you know, more kind of Motown vintage tone, you know, and then I have a five string P bass that has flats on it as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's it's funny because to me... I have pretty outlandish taste in basses. I don't mind crazy colors and crazy right, right. designs and inlays. And um, But you have the two most, to me, classic jazz bass looks. The the Marcus Natural with a black guard, maple board, black binding on the fingerboard, and black blocks. The performance, the five. That looks just like a Marcus five. Right. And this cream white with a tort guard, that's to me, with a rosewood board. That's mm-hmm. to me the sexiest, most classic rosewood board. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I love a lot. A, a lot of people that order like Maloons and a lot of the sort of more upscale custom Fenders they make mm-hmm. nowadays, Fender mm-hmm. copies. Uh, they tend to go for those two color schemes. Yeah, 
Yeah, you you got you got the right ones for sure. It's interesting. Somebody on the, on a base forum back in my home country of Sweden posted last week. It's like we're all bored. We got nothing to do. Do you all find that the gear acquisition syndrome gets a lot worse <laughs> when you don't have work, <laughs> when you shouldn't be buying stuff, right? <laughs> when it's not a good time to buy. Um, at this point in my in my life and career. Uh, the itch doesn't, the itch to buy gear, base gear at least, hasn't really come up as much as it used to. Um, at this point, I pretty much have all the tones that I would like in my arsenal. So I, I've always, you know, told people when they ask, it's like, okay, it's, a, it's about relationship at this point. So if I develop a relationship with a company that, you know, genuinely supports what I do and, you know, all that kind of stuff, then cool. You know, I'll take whatever you know they're offering. Well, well let me be devil's advocate then, or maybe not the devil, but some kind of advocate. <laughs> uh-huh. In case there's any companies listening, which I know there are, yeah. uh, if somebody said, beat up. We know you're sort of a Fender Jazz guy, but if we can make you a signature model where you could tweak a few little details of something that already exists, is there anything? What would that look like? My signature base would definitely be a PJ. Mm-hmm. It would be a PJ. That's the tone I fell in love with the most. So that would definitely be a signature of mine. Um, five string. Uh yeah, and then just different options from there. Of course, it would have three band EQ. Yeah, then just go from there as far as colors and wood options. But yeah, that's pretty much my basic setup. I mean, I don't really, you know, get heavy into the different stuff like a lot of people get into the different woods and, you know, all the different pre's and pickups and stuff like that. If it sounds good, I just go with it. As I don't much even a, care who made it. Yeah. <laughs> as much of a gear nerd as I am, I'm a little bit the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure, you can sort of hear a maple or a rosewood neck, but if if the bass is really alive and ringing, you know, even though I prefer a maple board for, for slapping, if the instrument is vibrant, it's not going to matter if it's a rosewood board. Right, right. If, if it's alive, it's alive. And I don't know about you, but I'm obsessed with playing basses when i try one in the store and if i find one i like i'll play put my jaw my jawbone on my ear on the actual wood for mm-hmm. a good 15 minutes before i plug it in really i just i'm obsessed with the whole acoustic thing wow and i even own a few basses where i when i put my ear on them and i listen to the body mm-hmm. i sound like a weirdo now but that's cool <laughs> i am one uh and i listen to it acoustically and then i, I plug it in and i'm like if it could only sound if these pickups could just pick up what i hear out of the wood mm-hmm. you know almost guys with acoustic guitars are like that a lot because yeah. they all struggle with what can pick up the way this guitar actually sounds you know right right mm-hmm. so out of those gigs you mentioned earlier on if you could say what's the favorite thing you've ever been involved with the favorite thing you ever did and mentioning one name is not throwing shade on anyone else obviously but is there <laughs> is there one thing that you're like i want to do that more i want to do that again kind of a thing um it would probably be for me 
a cross between the Johnny Gill stuff and Stevie Wonder. If I could do like a real, that's probably the one gig I would actually do. Like I would consider going on a run with Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Because it's like the songs, the type of stuff that I grew up listening to and that I listened to. You know, early on, like, you know, the stuff that my mom listened to and stuff like that. So to be able to work with artists that I heard when I was young, it's kind of cool being able to play those songs behind the actual artist like that. Yeah. That would be super crazy. Yeah. You know, the few times that has happened to me, I barely asked what the gig paid. And right. then I had to regain my composure and act like a professional like. And there's been a few like that where I couldn't tell them how big of a fan I was because mm -hmm. they'd hired me as a colleague and as, you know, a professional bass player. And I was a 12 year old right. at their gig. And I'm like, I can't show them how much of a 12 year old I am. And then two or three gigs in having wine or something with a boss, you're like, look, I'm, I'm basically a stalker of your music. I'm really <laughs> happy to be here. Sorry. Sorry for this awkward moment, but I had to get it out. And usually they just laugh and, yeah. and you know, you hope that level of passion that connects to when you were a child, that it translates in the performance, that you tap into a level yeah. of excitement that maybe you're unable to tap into under different circumstances. You know? mm -hmm. Today, uh, after you get done talking to me, you're going to do a little, uh, a little hang, a little web, like a lot of musicians are doing sort of like social distancing broadcasting. Right. What are you getting into yeah. after you're done here today? Um, so a friend of mine uh, is putting on this thing where she wants to bring, you know, gospel music to the online platform for a lot of people that are, you know, because there's a lot of churches that are closed down and stuff like that at the moment. So she wanted to bring gospel music on, you know, social media where, you know, it's her and a group of, you know, different singers and stuff would just kind of sing songs and stuff and they're going to live stream it. So she asked me to come and, you know, be a part of it, play bass and stuff like that. So what's her name? Because just in case this will be out in a few weeks, maybe or even one week. And in case there's something left on her Facebook, what's her name? In case we want her name to is her. Quiella Porter, actually. Um, it should be on her Facebook. Uh, there's one from last week which was the first one she did, and that was a pretty good turnout. So, yeah, another one will be up <laughs> after about 7 o'clock tonight, 7.30, or if you want to watch it live. Then cool. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. <laughs> of I'm course, <laughs> this won't be edited by then probably, but, yeah. you know. No, I'm, as you can tell, I'm just trying to dig, uh, ask you as much as possible where, where people can find you that are not your little... Instagram gotcha. ditties, you know, gotcha. just um, on your homepage. Do you have any video content uploaded for the people that are thinking about maybe getting lessons and stuff like that? Uh, I do. I actually have some online lessons uh, that are currently up that I did a few months back. Um, if you go to YouTube and you type in Sunday morning grooves, um, you'll come across some of my bass lessons that I've already put up. Amazing. There's, there's more than I'm working on, you know, for for future upload, but yeah, there's some stuff already up there, some mini lessons and, you know, you can definitely get into those and learn some stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for that. That's perfect. 
when uh, when I was here, I remember towards the end of the lesson and when the lesson was over, you and I were just pulling up stuff on YouTube and playing along. And what stuff we know what you grew up on and what originally inspired you and Stevie and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. what kind of stuff are you getting into now? What have you found recently that's like turning turning on? Mm. Well, there's two there's two sides to it for me. There's the stuff that I just enjoy listening to, and then there's the stuff that makes me want to play. You know, I hear that. I hear know? that for sure. Yeah. So, um, for me, um, I don't listen to a lot of new music. If I do come across something, it was, you know, either something that a friend produced or created, or something that was recommended by a friend or something like that. But I'm big on, you know, West Coast hip hop, mm -hmm. you know, DJ well, Battlecat and, you know, Dr. Dre, stuff like that. You grew up right in the middle of the center, the very streets, the yeah. very, the very towns where it's from. Right. Yeah. And I think that plays plays a big part in my playing as well, because, you know, being exposed to, you know, West Coast hip hop and kind of the groove and, you know, the, the vibe to that, it kind of. You know, I, I tend to gravitate towards that in my playing as well, you know. So that brings me to an interesting question. A lot of West Coast hip hop um, obviously have program based on the records. Mm -hmm. But live, you see a lot of both new school and old school West Coast hip hop acts uh, bring out live bass players. Mm -hmm. So. Is, is there an approach you take when playing that style? If somebody sends you a track, like, hey, we're doing this, you know, next week. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a very sort of static, you know, bass part that just repeats throughout the song, which is part of hip hop, too. But when you take an electric bass out and you put the B-dub thing on it, mm -hmm. is, is there... Is there any kind of thought behind how you approach taking a, a, a basic hip hop program bass part and turn it into what it ends up being live? Um, I think for me, I uh, take my usual approach that I take to all music. Because um, I'm a simple guy and I, I play things simple. So those type of records are naturally simple. Like it's more, you know, the West Coast hip hop stuff is more of a feel thing. So I, I fit right into that kind of stuff. So when I play those kind of records, I just fall right into place. Like it consists of mostly just playing the pattern and inserting random slides or, you know, ghost notes and things like that, which is, of course, something that I'm big on and just going for it. Um, in most in most sessions that I've been in, very rarely do I get to just leave it at that though, because I'm I'm usually asked to play more. They're like, okay, give me give me some more, give me some more, because I'm not a busy player. Mm -hmm. So you know, I almost like kind of like I'm thinking like a producer, like as I'm producing the record, and yep. so you know, I don't I'm creating the record, so I'm not playing busy like it's a gig or something. You know, so they're like, yeah, okay, do it again, play more. Like, well, that, okay. that's the best <laughs> advice, though, seriously, isn't it? Yeah. For people, when you do a session, if you play it safe, quote-unquote, to begin with, just make it feel great, 
they can always ask you to throw a little pepper on it, a little sauce on it. Mm-hmm. But you don't want them necessarily to ask you and say, hey, can you lay back a little, leave room for right. that stuff. Right. The, Most of the sessions that I do where I have to send stuff off, the way I have it set up is, okay, you'll get two takes. You'll get the clean take and you'll get the busy take and you just slice and dice it how you need it. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. If I just send them one with all the spice on it, I'm super scared that that I might be stepping on the vocal that right. isn't there when I'm tra- doing the track. Right. You know? And if I send them just sort of the professional clean, I'm afraid that it's going to sound too vanilla. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah, sending the two mm-hmm. tracks is, 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 even though it makes a little more work for the people editing the track, I think it leaves them with more freedom, too. Right. And they tend to like that creative control to where they could just, you know, move this here and slice this here and things like that. So have at it. <laughs> That's what I always tell them. Just go for it. All right, man. Well, I know you got to bounce, so uh, I appreciate you having me over, man. I've been I've been hitting you up for a little while now about this because uh, I I have a lot of players on this podcast where people know who they play for. They play for these big names, but mm-hmm. I think you're the first guy where I found somebody on Instagram, and I'm like, more people need to know about this dude. Yeah. And and I'm so happy you agreed to hang out with us, man. And yeah. I can't tell you guys enough who's listening uh, uh, what a joy it is. Uh, and that's the word. It's just a lot of joy in B-Dub's playing. So go check him out and you'll feel that joy. It, it'll, even <laughs> if you don't feel like playing along, it'll pick, you, it'll pick you up. It'll make you feel good. Yeah. So that's it. <laughs> appreciate it, man. Glad I could do this, man. This is awesome. All right, bro. See you soon. Yes, Bye. sir. I hope you all enjoyed my hang with uh, B-Dub. What a great thing to be able to to talk about uh, life and bass with with people you haven't known that long and just really have great in-depth conversation like uh, like this. Um, I encourage you all to check him out, which I've done several times throughout this podcast already. But he deserves your attention and it's super easy to get a hold of him and get a lesson going online too. And he'll make you look at some stuff that you're already doing and just make it feel better. So I encourage everyone to do it. Um, Because of the current situation with the coronavirus, I can't predict exactly how long it'll take me to do the next episode, but I'm hoping to get one to you within a month at least. Uh, I got some great guests lined up. It's just a matter of getting together in a safe way, obviously, to to make them happen. So until then, get some more practicing in if you got free time. Uh, it's so much fun to, to be able to transform uh, our playing and our skill level uh, through this time of, of, of uncertainty, really. So stay safe, everybody. I appreciate everyone listening and, and uh, I appreciate all the comments and I appreciate everyone telling their friends about this podcast as well. Until next time, keep it low, keep it funky, and I'll see you back here at the Lowdown Society Podcast.